worship when you just feel you need to go on a little bit further, aren't they? I just feel like that this morning. But, uh, that's a good place to conclude, isn't it, with our love for Jesus. Well, we've gone back to Matthew again, and for the sake of those who are not normally with us, we're looking at the DVD um, with a pure reading of Scripture. Noah added words to it. It's just a reading of the Scripture with the um, portrayal, the, the sort of film that goes along with it, the drama, whatever you like to call it. And um, we're going to watch chapter 4 in just a moment. But before we do that, I just need to remind you a couple of things which are in the bulletin. That is at Christianity Explained, a series of six talks. Um, need to pray about this. That's an important thing to do. It's a little bit of an alternative to Alpha, trying a different route, trying a different way, you know, maybe with just ones and twos in small groups. Um, well, we're going to go for that and try it. So uh, just to remind you about that. And then the church is together in Herne Bay, uh, 17th to the 23rd of January, a week for prayer for Christian unity. There are daily prayer services at 10 a.m. Um, we're actually part of that, and so it's here on Wednesday the 19th. But um, it's a good thing to think about and to pursue. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Christians are one in Christ. It's just a matter of working it out. <laughs> and that's not so easy sometimes, is it? All one in Christ. We're all the same. All received by him, all depend on his work. But, well, we get it wrong, don't we? So we do need prayer, we just need to make little steps to working it out, you know, to say that we are one in Christ. So, Alex, if you're ready, we'll look at chapter 4 of Matthew. Serve him only. Then he 
Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen.
spread all over Syria. The people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Wonderful. Then if you could drop the blinds up someone upside down, that might be possible to do that. with a bit of light in. Okay. I just want to do, do a little bit of an overview where we are. Um, Matthew presents to us very much a, a king-flavoured gospel, you know, uh, speaking sort of around the kingdom of God, what it was going to be like. Um, and at this sort of time, when we're introduced to the temptation of Jesus and that experience um, in the desert, uh, we're beginning to talk kingdom issues. Because when he was baptised, that was very, very personal. And as Steve said last week, um, the question came, you know, John said to Jesus, um, why are you baptised and um, why do you come to me? Actually, I need to be baptised by you. Good question. We could almost say the same thing about Jesus going out into the wilderness and being tempted of the devil. But the devil wouldn't ask him the similar sort of question that John would ask him. But we would ask that question. It's one of the questions I asked this morning. Why? Why the temptation of Jesus? You know, where we look at Jesus from now, we, we, we say, why? We say, why did Jesus go through that? Why did he go through that experience? The temptation. But as we're looking at Satan, which we will do this morning, we're looking at the, our enemy, if you like. We're looking at God's enemy. We're looking at the one who destroyed God's handiwork. We're looking at the one who upsets and makes a mess of people's lives. We're looking at one who Jesus said he's the father of lies. <clears throat> We're beginning to look at kingdom things here. Now, if you take a brief look through the, through the chapter, I, I'm just going to look. If you've got one of the NI, NIV Bibles, it has the little headings over the top. We've got the temptation of Jesus. Jesus begins to preach. He calls disciples to himself, and Jesus heals the sick. Jesus healed the sick. Now, all of these things are part of the coming, the advancing kingdom of God, which Jesus is here. And as we remember at Christmas time, um, 
so wonderfully. The government is upon his shoulders. And of, and of his kingdom and of his government, there will be no end. Through Jesus, he's not only the king, but he's establishing and preparing and setting up the kingdom of God. The kingdom of earth, even here on earth, which will last. And the kingdom of God will never regress. It will never go back. It will always advance. And so as the church of the living God, we, the church has become almost the custodians, the custodian of the kingdom of God. So God has put into the hands of his church things which are important in the kingdom of God and powerful and things which we need to pursue, things we need to look at. Part of God's great kingdom, as Matthew explains through his gospel, is that temptation is a very real experience. And it's something which believers all through the world will, will face. But we have to ask ourselves the question too, what is this temptation? Is it, is it just a seduction into doing things wrong? No, it isn't just seduction into doing things wrong. It's a persuasion and, and an upsetting it, it, it's also a time, it's testing, it's proving. It's proving lives, proving reality. Sometimes when people first become Christians, they say, well, I seem to be in a worse mess now than I was before. Sometimes, not always. So, did, was the choice I made right? Did it mean anything? And the fact is, when we stand out for Jesus, when we take on this, this whole kingdom power which has been provided through Jesus, the fact that we have transformed lives and eternal lives through Jesus Christ, that will be put to the test. It will be proved. And God is it's almost saying, or the kingdom of God is almost challenging our lives to saying, put your money where your mouth is. You say you have become a Christian... Let me see the evidence. In Ephesians, there, there is this, this picture given to us, or this truth, if you like, that what God does for us prepares us and enables us to stand as Christians and as people who find strength in God and people who can overcome habits, people who can stand against the enemy, people who can work out the difference between truth and mistruth, and the fact we can establish a pure understanding in our minds what it's all about. The temptation that Jesus experienced was spiritual. You didn't, we didn't see Satan in the picture. We saw Jesus, but we saw an activity of Jesus being confronted with different things in his life. But through this chapter, it began with a temptation, and then Jesus begins to preach. It's part of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is being told to all people. The first disciples were called, and they were brought into the cause and the purpose of the kingdom of God as Jesus moved out, and others came. We come to Jesus healing the sick. It's part of God's purpose in the kingdom of God. It's part of the church that God heals today. He heals in every way. And so in a more general sense, he, we see Matthew saying, well, look, this is the kingdom of God coming in. It's the advancing kingdom of God. And chapters 5 to 8, and this is just in a, in a matter of context to set the scene, 
chapters 5 to 8, I just want to read the headings to the chapters. Now, at this point, in chapter 5, he saw the crowds, he went up into a mountainside and sat down. In some ways, Matthew revolves his... Um, his gospel around things which happened on the mountain. You know, he, he almost uses it as a point, you know, to bring it, to say what he's saying, you know. And here Jesus is on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. And he starts off by talking about blessed are those who mourn, what we call the Beatitudes. So he begins the whole point about the kingdom of God. Here's, there's a great potential for people who are outside official religious circles and those who are actually finding it difficult in life, people who struggle with issues, there's potential for them too. And this is the base. This is the working point, the starting point for God's kingdom on earth. He called the the fishermen and he used them. He called them disciples and he used them to bring out aspects of the kingdom of God. So you have the Beatitudes, you have salt and light. You are salt and light, said Jesus. No question about it, you are salt and light in the world. He talks about the fulfilment of the law. Everything about the kingdom of God was a fulfilment of the law. And Jesus came, I've not come to destroy it, I've come to fulfill it. He goes on and talks about murder. He talks about adultery and divorce. He talks about relationships, how that in the world relationships are abused and misused. But the kingdom of God has answers to things like that, to relationships that have gone wrong, to abuse and misuse of relationship. It talks about oaths. It talks about an eye for an eye. It talks about love for enemies, giving to the needy. He talked about prayer, fasting, treasures in heaven, not worrying, judging others, asking, seeking, knocking. He talked about the narrow and the wide gates. He talked about a tree and its fruit. He talked about the wise and the foolish builders. And in verse 28 it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And so Jesus was fitting into the minds of people what the kingdom was all about. Love, power, and a sound mind. The first thing we're confronted in, and at a first glance, these four fundamental important aspects of the kingdom of God and each have their initiation out of what we might term the advancing kingdom. The big question about the first section, the temptation of Jesus, why Jesus? Why did he have to go through this? I just want to give you a little picture. Two lions, two lions in the desert. One is Jesus, one is Satan. And in terms of scripture, this is what we're looking at. The one is only a caricature of base animal instinct. The other is an epithet or an adjective which expresses attributes and qualities in respect of the indescribable Jesus. The Bible tells us Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Notice the word like. Satan is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And part of this morning is really to um, understand who Satan is. The Screwtape Letters is a philosophy of temptation. 
The best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to texts of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. The sort of script which is used in this book can be very easily obtained by anyone who has once learned the knack, but ill-disposed or excitable people who may make a bad use of it shall not learn it from me. But it's the two errors. It's to disbelieve in Satan and to believe to the context that we get interested in him and his activity. So we have to ask the question, why did Jesus go through this experience? In the Chronicles of Narnia, Jesus is depicted as the Messiah and um, his character and involvement as the Messiah. And that's an an allegory, if you like. It's it's revealing Jesus in his true nature. You have two lions in the desert. In the animal world, the lion represents superiority over all the other animals, even the elephant, which is larger and has more physical power, Jesus has the quality and power of superiority, so evident in the New Testament. You have the Roman soldiers, which were all about in Jesus' day, exercising the authority of Rome. And yet Jesus declared a superiority of power, not in physical power, but by his, all his demeanour and by the truth which he displayed. And people began to pick up on this truth This is why the people were amazed at his teaching when he taught, because they said, well, here's something we can do now. Here's something we can believe in. Here's something that can really change our lives. And so, just a little picture. For the sake of worship and warning. Jesus is depicted in the Bible, in Revelation 15, verse 5, I believe it is, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why does he have that title? The Old Testament refers to the tribes of Israel which were significantly different for the purposes which God had to develop and enable the kingdom of God. For example, the tribe of Levi would focus on developing and the succession of the priesthood under the context of Israel and and God's working through them. And so uh, not only would, if you had a father who was a priest, he would try and develop his sons into the priesthood. And so that that sort of continuance would work through the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Judah was a tribe from which kings came to power at different seasons. Matthew extols the genealogy of Jesus in his first chapter, verse 3, This is the genealogy which has enabled a king to be born and bring him to birth just at the right time. The Bible describes it as in the fullness of time. When the time was ripe, Jesus came forth. Born of a virgin, born under the law, but born king. And the genealogy, if you like, through the tribe of Judah, 
is what it says. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, the tribe of Judah, bringing in the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in this picture of worship and mourning, we see two lions in the desert. But it's not a contest of wills. It's not a contest of strength. It is, we ask the question, why did Jesus go through it? Why did God allow him to do it? Well, I believe, first and foremost, he did it for us. He did it for humanity. The fact that Jesus, his humanity was genuine. That he suffered the things that we suffer. He went through the things that we go through. But as one thing it said about Jesus, the prince of this world cometh to me and has no part in me. The prince of this world. He's talking about Satan. He doesn't refer to him as a king or anything like this. prince of this world comes to me and has no part in me. Everything Satan presents to us of the kingdom of darkness is an act of tyranny against us, against the kingdom of God. And as Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he was there. Now, last week Steve told us that God spoke, God tore the heaven apart to say what he needed to say. He tore the heaven apart. It doesn't say torn, but that's the inference of the scripture there. God tore the heaven apart. This is something that has to be said. It's something that has to be made known to the world. It's something that needs to be established in truth. This is my son. Point number one. Son of God, the only son of God. In whom I am well pleased. My pleasure is in him. And then another from another gospel, it said and added, hear ye him. Or his voice is now the important voice in the earth. So God tore the heavens apart to make three points known about Jesus. Now it's at that point that Satan comes to him and the whole question is that of sowing seeds of doubt in their mind. There was no question who Jesus was. There was no question against what Jesus came to do and to accomplish. The question was, was this going to be undermined by the spirit of mistruth and doubt and understanding. Notice Satan comes at Jesus' weakest point after he had forced it, passed it for 40 days, and he was, the authorised verse, and hungry. I don't know what that means quite, but he was hungry. He came at his weakest point. And I'm sure you all agree with me, dear believers, the times of testing come when we're weak or when we feel weak. That's how deceitful, that's how enable the work of Satan is. He comes when we're weak. Well, that's the time to believe and to use what God has given us to use. He came when Jesus was weak. He came sowing seeds of doubt. 
It was a time of proving, not letting up. And Jesus was sustained. Notice the angels came to him after Satan had left, and he was actually supported. But in our context of our lives, it's a point of proving. It's a point of proving. Temptation is not a penalty. Temptation is a privilege of the person undergoing the trial, knowing that they are being strengthened for use by God. A lot of people think, oh, he's out to get me. He's out to trip me up. He's out to mess me up. God allows it to prove us. God allows it to strengthen us. God allows these times of trial and difficulty because he loves us. An old cartoon had the two characters looking at each other with a caption below them saying, how come opportunity knocks only once, but temptation beats the door down every day? And sometimes that's what it's like, isn't it? It's almost like a beating down of the door. The experience that Jesus went through cannot be understood in the finite mind. When we read that Jesus was taken to a place where he saw all the kingdoms of the earth, we know of no such place. However, we can all imagine these temptations. There is a struggle in our minds. The battle is not over flesh and blood. The battle is for our minds, our souls, our very eternal lives. This wasn't a physical contest in the desert. It was a spiritual one. You know, we're, when we're born again as Christians, one of the things it says about us, we're born from above. Born again, that means we're now in the family of God. We're now his true child. And when we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God tears the heaven apart and he said, these are my sons. These are the ones I have great pleasure in. I now give them a voice in the earth. God has now placed in our hands as the church, as individuals, the authority of heaven. The authority of heaven. That's, that's amazing, that. But you know, when God saved us, he saved us. He didn't just sort of put us in that pen, sort of these are the Christians, or these are the sheep, and they're the goats, whichever you like. No, these are the ones I'm going to restore. These are the ones I'm going to make good. These are the ones who are going to fight the fight of faith. These are the ones who are going to be winners and not losers. These are the ones, these are my people, the beloved of God, his treasure, his treasure. And so he enables us, he will enable us to stand. Oscar Wilde once said that he could resist everything except temptation and our minds are in a place 
where battles are fought and won every day. It's easy for a person to say, no thank you. I think it's in Titus, it says, the Holy Spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What it's saying is, I, God, now, I now give into your hands the power to do things which you once couldn't do before. It's called the enabling. The enabling to do. So, this temptation in the devil was not just for Jesus' sake. It was for our sake he was there. To demonstrate his genuine humanity. To say to us, I know what it's like, but you can overcome Two essential things here. Initially, the temptation is about doubt, about who you are and then what you can do. Great doubts come to believers that they've not become Christians and they're not actually saved. Someone came to me recently, not very far away, not in this church, and was looking at the... uh, I think it was one of the childs that was abused. She woke up in the middle of the night in great depression and sadness. And she said, I'm just so worried that I would do that. That I could be horrible. That I could find it difficult. We prayed with the person. But you see, there's always that doubt that we are who we are and what we can do. And essentially, the challenge to what God said from heaven. You're not who God said you were. You're not the one who's come to establish the kingdom of God and set it up on earth to demonstrate the power. You're not the one with the voice in the earth. It was an undermining of who you are and what you can do. In in its simplicity... And there are other deep things in the passage. That's what it's about. Who you are and what you can do. And they're the struggles we face as believers today. And I want to encourage you this morning in what Jesus found was his strength. And that was the scripture. The truth of God. Our Bibles really aren't taken up enough. And I say that for myself as well. But there's power in the word of God. That's why we come to it. That's why we're lying it. So Jesus demonstrated his genuine humanity. And as an ordinary person, even in times of weakness, Satan was there. Paul writing to the Ephesian church says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is an enabling in times of, if you like, temptation or difficulty, or struggling against the enemy. Take the word of God. You know, knowing the scriptures and what they say will help you. And I trust we all know the scriptures and what they say, the Bible. When I talk about scriptures, I'm essentially referring to the Old Testament. That's all Jesus had. There's power in the Old Testament, and a lot of people don't read it but there's power in there. The rest is sort of history 
and saying how that power was used and how it was demonstrated. Knowing the scriptures and what they say will help you. Knowing the scriptures and what they mean will be like a sword in your hand. But knowing the scripture and its authority can demolish strongholds and carve a highway through a desert experience. It's almost about a deeper deeper level of understanding and entrance. The entrance of thy word, the Bible says, gives light. And so today, if we could go away with a fresh desire to enter God's word with a new desire. It's good when we read passages every day as a part of a discipline, we have a little comment on it. But I think God wants us to go further. He wants to get us into the power issues. Knowing the scripture and its authority can demolish strongholds and carve a highway through a desert experience. What's your stronghold this morning? Is it like some people say, I could never do that. I could never forgive. I could never love. I I could never give my all to God. And yet God can empower us to do more than we ask or think. More. More than we ask or think. What other strongholds might there be? Might it be a habit that you really want to get rid of? There are lots of people that just find they can't do things they want to do. Can't give up smoking, can't looking at pornography, can't, you know, can't get themselves to love someone else or speak to someone. That's a stronghold when you can't do something you really want to do. There are things that you can't do something that you don't want to do them either. Sometimes forgiveness falls in that area. The power to forgive. The Bible tells us that we should be able to forgive as God forgave. That's simple, isn't it? But it's not so easy. Sort of strongholds that we might find. Then there's the battle for the mind. You cannot get rid of that picture, that thing that keeps troubling your mind. It won't go. And it keeps troubling you. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night and as a fear comes to you, you can't get rid of it. These are all parts of life. But you know, they're spiritual things which have physical manifestations. In the desert, it was a spiritual experience. It has a physical manifestation. Take Satan coming to Jesus. Now, command these stones be made bread. You're hungry now. You make those stones bread. And Jesus said to him, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It wasn't wrong for Jesus to use a miracle for his own needs. Because when they needed to pay the temple tax, Jesus said to Peter, go to the fish and you'll find a coin in his mouth. And that gave him the opportunity to use miracles for himself and for Peter. There are other examples too. 
So when Satan presents to us of the kingdom of darkness, it is an act of tyranny against that. So when doubts come, when the challenge to you who you are and what you can actually do, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. And so the power to overcome and the power to forgive is there. But it's all based on scripture. That is our tool. That is what we use. That's what we go to. Yeah, we go to friends. We go to other brothers and sisters. And they support us and they help us. And I think we do wonderfully well as a church for that. We support. But what happens when we're on our own? I think it was... uh, it was Jeffrey Bull who said from this platform here, well, it was not here now, Derek took it down. So the big platform, was it. I think you took it down, didn't you, Derek? I think it got burnt or the wood used somewhere. But it was from this platform, Jeffrey Bull said, when I was in prison, I was so glad I learnt the word off by heart because they took their Bible away from me. Jeffrey Bull's son is now down in Brighton, part of New Frontier. So he's still around, the spirit's still around. Yeah. About learning the scriptures, you know? Knowing the scripture and its authority can demolish strongholds and carve a highway through a desert experience. Temptation very often comes at a point of decision or a serious commitment to do what God wants. Have you ever come to that stage you say, I'm determined I'm going to do this from now on? I'm not going to do that anymore. And sometimes the temptation may come, the proving might come. God is saying, you know, you put your money where your mouth is. Almost, not as crudely as that. But God is saying, I'm giving you the ability to stand. Because that's what it says in Ephesians, having done all to stand. And there are many Christians today sitting down moping. I can't do this. I wish I could do that. Oh, I'm so weary with this. And they're not decrying our base needs, our needs. But God has given us the power to stand. And it can be done through his word. And so this temptation comes. Or to give up something for him, to engage with a purposeful discipline that could transform our lives and to make us more effective when we want to say no and find it difficult. It is said that when temptation comes, when trial comes, and it's so very difficult, God will provide a way out. He will provide, he will enable the way to see this thing through. My God shall strengthen me. And so as we look at the temptation, we look at Jesus preaching, the calling of the first disciples and healing the sick. Jesus was in the desert, establishing the whole power of the kingdom of God as it issued forth. He preached from the word. He called the first disciples because that's how we do it and taught them. He taught the people and Jesus healed the sick. And all these things are the thing what God wants to see and develop in his kingdom. And this morning as we come and as we see what's happened as the kingdom of God advances, let us note these things. Let us pray. You read about prayer and fasting. 
We thought about that recently, about doing that again. The need to pray in the past. Now, I know I missed the prayer meeting yesterday morning. We've reminded it quite well this morning. Fred said, I've got three alarm clocks you can have. John came to me and he said, Good morning. And Eileen looked at, said, Good morning, and almost winked. As I like to say, Oh, you're here this morning. Good you're here this morning. But the temptation wasn't to lay in bed, no. Temp- it, was, it just happened, you know, one of those things. But just before, I, just before I close, when I first started work, it's a long time ago now, I was told to, it was a shop that had lots of light fittings in it and all electrical stuff in it, and it was a long, narrow shop, and um, we had to serve in the shop. Basically, what happened is you had to wait for the daughter of the boss to have time to get there at half past ten so that she could have her thing. And so we had to look after the shop from half past, from eight o'clock to half past ten and people would come in and out of the shop. And but one of the jobs we had I had to do was to um, was to dust around the shop. You know, you know what it's like dusting all the light fittings and stuff like that. And uh, one thing you had to do was to dust the old batteries. Anybody remember the old Ever Ready batteries with the brass things on the top and the springs and all cardboard round and blue and red and all the rest of it? And one day I was dust... I did do it, by the way. One day I was dusting up around these batteries and I came across... I think it was half a crown. It was a piece of money. It wasn't just a penny. It was something. It was a bit. I, yeah, I could have bought, bought the whole members of the workforce cakes with half a crown in those days, which we had to do from time to time. But as I was dusting around the batteries, I came across this this half a crown there amongst the batteries, and when I saw it, I was like, "What that's doing there?" And all of a sudden, it twigged in my mind. That's been put there to see a whether I take it and B, whether I dusted the batteries. <laughs> and so, Mom, I suddenly twigged, you know. Um, so I thought, what can I do here? So I got hold of the half a crown, and when she came in, said, I found this up amongst the batteries. Oh, she said. She didn't say anything about wonder how it got there or anything like that. And I suddenly realised I was being proved or tested whether I was doing my job or be or whether I was honest about money. I can't say I was particularly good at either. But it was put in my place. And things like that, you know, when, when God takes us through an experience, sometimes, you know, we ought to be glad that God's willing to trust us with this. So be proved who we are, what he says we are, and also the power that he's given to us to be enabled to do things. So, Father, we do thank you. We do thank you, Father, so much for Jesus, our great instructor, our great pattern, for all that he did and said, and even for this experience, Father, that he went through. We thank you, Father, for the kingdom of God which is in his hands. The kingdom will advance because of the king, essentially because of who he is and what he's done for us. The kingdom would advance, Lord, when we come into place and we come into power. We realise who we are in Christ. 
And so we pray, Father, your kingdom come, Lord. Should we say the prayer that the Lord prayed? Just pray to have a sense of purpose before we go. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and lead, forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Your question for home group this week is, what does it mean by lead us not into temptation? Uh, if anybody would like prayer, please grab us up.